What a joy it is to be here today, to see this full church, and to stand here representing my people who are in Montana, the southernmost part of the Blackfeet Confederacy, known in Canada as Blackfoot. I went to school because the nation paid my way, and today as an adult, I try to honor the legacy that all of us indigenous people have, which is to give back. My given name in the Blackfeet ceremony is Eagle Woman. It's pronounced Kitaki in Blackfeet. That's a name that carries a lot of responsibility. So as a priest, my professional work is in the field of indigenous theological education. I work with native people and with seminaries, with tribal people, with churches, cathedrals across the country to design new programs for indigenous people to go to seminary and learn and be welcomed to bring their traditions with them, not to have to leave them at the door and choose one or the other. I grew up a Christian. My grandmother, Blackfeet, was a Methodist. So I always knew Jesus. And my father came from Copenhagen, Denmark, as an immigrant to this country, learning English by going to school in this country. And he didn't teach us Danish because he wanted us to be Americans. So my grandmother did not speak English, she spoke Danish. My native grandmother did not teach my mother her language because she didn't want her to be punished in school for using a strange language. The buffalo were gone from my land by 1870 and my grandmother moved the family to South Texas, seven miles from Mexico. And that's where I grew up. And guess what? My mother and my grandmother both learned to speak Spanish fluently, <laughs> and everybody thought they were Mexican. <laughs> because they were brown, and they spoke Spanish well. So I was part of, I, I have the legacy of coming from the skipped generation when the parents did not teach their children the language. So I'm happy to speak with you today. I wish I could do it in Blackfeet. I do preach and I do celebrate Eucharist on Thursday in Spanish. So there's a little bit of both, but I never learned Danish. So welcome to all of you, whatever language you speak. And I want to share in native tradition and also by invitation of some of the leaders in this church, I'm going to share a story with you. This is an outrageous story of God's love. It's an outrageous miracle story of what happened in a closed church in Riverside, California. It's where I serve. And I offer it to you this morning because I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is real. 
Native people know the spirit is real. You know, we're in touch with the spirit all the time, and for us, the spirit is in everything. You know, my, the tradition of my people is we have something called buffalo rocks. And those are rocks that you can find out on the reservation. And those are the rocks that the buffalo hunters looked to to get messages for where the buffalo were and where they could go to find them. So talking rocks, okay with me. <laughs> Part of my heritage. When I was ordained a priest in 2012 as a grandmother, soon to be a great-grandmother, my bishop called me into his office and said, you're going to St. Michael's Riverside. You will have no congregation and you may not start one. I've closed it down because there was too much fighting going on among the people. You will have no money from the diocese because we don't really have any for this particular kind of ministry to give you. And you will have no salary. But because you're a professor and you have a job, I know you'll be okay financially. Plus, I'm married. But having just gone through four years of seminary as a fully employed person, it was a bit of a jolt, especially since I was being sent to a beautiful three-acre campus with a church that holds about 300 people. And that year, there was no Easter in that church. However, there was Ash Wednesday, except that I had to do it on Thursday because another church rented the church that day. I said to my bishop, what do you want me to do out there? Because it's about 50 miles from my home. And he said, get in your car drive out to Riverside and you and the Holy Spirit figure it out. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. Not by myself, but with dreams, with people around to help, with a benefit of liberation theology, which is what I depend upon a lot. I went to Riverside, California. I inherited three people from the former group, Maria the secretary, Wes the gardener, and Wade the jack of all trades who helped do maintenance and anything else we needed. I had a dream that I should go to the park and invite the people to come to my church and have a dinner in the church with the people from the park who had no home. And that's exactly what I did. You know, we, we, we Native people, as, as many of the people of the Bible, we listen to dreams. We listen to messages that come from Creator to us in ways that for us are very natural, but maybe new to some people. So in my dream, it was like, get the people into the church and feed them. That worked because the way we get to know one another and the way you would get to know us is very easy. To sit together and eat and share stories. We share our stories, we build trust. We eat together, that's very religious. 
We share our traditions, our food, and so on. So I took myself over to the park, big city park across the street, another city park three blocks down, and I started inviting people to come the next Thursday for, for a dinner in the church. 35 people, mostly men, showed up. They did not have homes. They did not have any reliable way of feeding themselves. Some were just out of work. They couldn't find work. Others were recovering from various kinds of illnesses or substance abuses, but they came. And we put the tables all the way down the side of the wall. And on the other side, you could see outside, it was French windows. And we had dinner together. And I, 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 I opened by saying to them, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a professor. I thought I was going to be in a church doing sermons and hearing prayers. But I'm here in this closed church. But you're with me, and I think together we can do some things in this neighborhood that will count. And so one man stuck his hand up when I asked, do you have any ideas of anything that we could do together that might make a difference? And he said, sister, if you could just give us a place to have coffee and not be run off, you would change our lives more than you know. Because when we go into McDonald's or someplace to have coffee, people ask us to leave. I said, my gosh, we can do that. You know, coffee, I'm doing the math in my head, that's not very expensive. We can do coffee. And, and then we talked more about things they needed. Here's why I include this in the story. I thought they would ask for housing. They did not ask for housing. They asked for ways to be in relationship. Very indigenous not restricted to indigenous because we all need relationship. We need love. We need people who listen and who care. One man told me that he didn't really care if he had a house. What he did care was that he had friends. And so that was a clue to which way our ministry was going to evolve. And then toward the end of the night, we decided we would meet the next week. And so he... I said, let me say a closing prayer. And another man stood up, a tall, thin man. In my head, this man will always be Jesus. Because I never saw him before and I never saw him after. But he stood up and he said, sister, is this all we're doing today? And I said, well, what did I forget? You know, I, I'm new at this. I don't really know. And so what did I forget? He said to me, it's been so long since I've had communion. It still gives me the hairs to stand up on my arms. And I said to him, I can go and get the, the bread and the wine and we'll have communion right now, tonight. And we did. But again, being a new priest, I knew that the people I was going to serve would have probably some issues with alcohol. There would be some in 12-step programs. So I got non-alcoholic wine, one half of 1%, and I served it in the chalice. And afterwards, a man came up to me and he said, Sister, 
you can't give us real wine. It's a trigger for us. You know, those of us who've gone to AA, we don't, we can't handle real wine. I said, oh, but it's, see, college professor still, oh, it's non-alcoholic wine. He said, if it looks like wine and it smells like wine and it tastes like wine, for us it's wine. Don't do it again. See, this is the beauty of letting yourself relax into the spirit. Because I had already told them I didn't know what I was doing, and I, then I proved it in several different ways. <laughs> but you know what? The people took compassion on me because they knew my heart was in the right place, and they knew that I cared enough about them to come and ask them what we could do together. See, in liberation theology, you don't do things for people. You do things with people. So you don't just go and feed a bunch of people without having them be part of the plan. Well, life went on. Suffice it to say that we have, it evolved into Bible study on Wednesday and Thursday night about seven, excuse me, 75 people coming for dinner. And we had people who signed up to mow the yard, do the garden. We had people sign up to take care of clothing. In other words, a ministry was evolving from the people. And then COVID came. So we had to shut everything down for several months. But we started up again with a drive-through food giveaway. People drive up, open their trunk, put food in, move it out. The miracle of this story is this. I started housing people illegally in the church. And I got a lot of code enforcement violations for doing that. It didn't make sense to have this many pews in a cold winter night and tell people, thanks, I'll pray for you in the park. So I invited them in. This did not go over well with the city. And my, my bishop, a new bishop, not the first bishop, but Bishop Taylor said, Mary, you know, eventually they're going to call you on this and they can go back to your first offense and fine you from day one all the way to the present, which could be thousands of dollars. He said, you've got to figure out how to help people with housing, but you can't, you know, try not to house them in the church. And I just said, well, I have to do it. How can I be a priest to homeless people and not share what we have? And so he said, well, go to work on figuring out a way you can do it legally. I want you to know from this ragtag bunch of people from the street, the park, a few Episcopalians who drifted in from other places just to see what the heck we were doing, we just opened an $8 million building. And it's housing 90 people in a two-story, 50-unit apartment house. And it did not cost the diocese one penny or the city. The bishop allowed us to use our empty parking lot and the building takes all of that space. And then we partnered with two other agencies, one of them that had 29 years experience managing reclaimed housing like motels, rehabbed motels and 
military barracks in one case. And they came in as our managers of the apartment house. And then we had another partnership with a community development partner, CDP, and they helped do all the paperwork and actually found the housing and wrote all of the things that we needed to do to vet people. So we house everyone who comes to us is low income. In fact, they're classified as very low income. Everyone who comes to us also is in one of these categories from from home, broken homes where somebody moved out and left kids and somebody there to take care of them but no money. And then people who are struggling with various kinds of mental health issues that need case management. And then people who are in the process of, of achieving sobriety. I call us all ages and all stages. Um, and we have on the campus as part of the proposal, we have professionals who are there every day to do case management. So the people are not just there, oh, well, you need to go and find a counselor. No, the counselor comes to them at the property. Well, it goes on. See, this is the Holy Spirit at work. So then people start coming from the apartment to get food that we give away on Thursday morning. It's organic produce really healthy stuff that we get for free from farms and from grocery stores that have too much. And they start saying to me, Mother Mary, when do we have a church? When, when can we have church? We want church. When can we have church? In Espanol. I said, well, you know, I don't really speak Spanish too fluently. They said, well, we can help you. So now we have... 8 o'clock, free breakfast on Thursday morning, 8.30, Holy Eucharist in Spanish, with people from the group participating. So my Lem is a guy who came from the park, except that now he's a confirmed Episcopalian. He calls himself a Mexican Indian. How perfect. You know? <laughs> wow, yeah, I get that. He, he's probably Azteca. He is indigenous from Mexico. He's confirmed Episcopalian now. The woman who runs the feeding program, the, the director, when I first met her, she was living in a garage across the street with her two grandchildren to keep them out of foster care. She now is a confirmed Episcopalian was a delegate to convention last year, diocesan convention. And she, she runs, she, you can give Gloria a, a paper bag of a bunch of random foods, and I swear, because I have seen her do it, she'll feed 60 people from that. So I give you this as an example of a kind of miracle. My clergy friends, thought I was really whacked out by taking the position. Truthfully, it never occurred to me not to take the position because I'd only been a priest for two weeks. And I wasn't really big on telling my bishop, oh, I don't think I like that one, you know. I, can't you give me something with, you know, a couple million dollars in the budget? I love my ministry. 
And I am told that some of you are trying to think about maybe how we could, you know, how could I get involved with people from the street? Well, I'm a little afraid of them because I don't really know them. Perfectly normal, because guess what? They're afraid of you because they think you'll immediately reject them. When you let the Holy Spirit take over, amazing things will happen. Amazing things will happen. Things I wouldn't have had the guts to, pardon, my throat's really dry right now. I wouldn't have had the, the thought to, to ask for things that we got without asking for them. You're an urban congregation. We're an urban congregation. We formed a way of funding ourselves. Well, we have a lot of different ways of funding ourselves, but we have a funeral ministry that we formed with a Mexican-American guy who believes that poor people should be able to bury their loved ones with dignity. And remember, this was during COVID. And so he pays us $500 to use our church for as long as he needs to do a funeral. And he can do a really first-class funeral for about three or $4,000. The same funeral downtown would be fifteen to 17000 So that's a place where God put us in touch with a funeral director who is uh, wanting to care for people. And so that's one of our funding sources. Our entire operating budget is about $120,000. It sounds like a lot, but it's really not a lot. In fairness to, to that, I don't want to mislead you, I still work as non-stipendiary. However, again, one of God's miracles, I was offered a job to work for the presiding bishop in indigenous theological education. So I have an income. Takes care of me, a lot it takes care of my husband, a lot of it goes to St. Michael's to take care of St. Michael's, but that's okay. That's okay. So I just wanted to bring you this message of hope. A lot of people think the Episcopal Church is going downhill. The numbers are dying. But last night I had a perfectly lovely conversation with some people that we think that some of the creative things that are going on in the church just don't get the publicity. And in fact, there's a lot of good things going on. There's resurrection going on by relationships that don't go to the diocese as part of what's called the parochial report. Like I served Eucharist on Thursday this week before I came here to 39 people. But it, it's invisible to the church's bookkeeping because we're not a Sunday service and we don't have a traditional setup. So we don't do a parochial report. So all of our work is basically invisible. So think about this. If you're in the church and you want to do something creative to, to help people and to honor our creator, just assume you can do it because you know what? If you pray about it, the answer will come. People will come forward and do things and offer you help. I'm going to close with this because we're out of time. I was sitting at my office one day getting ready to pay the bills for the month. 
And the secretary came in and said, I think you're going to want to see this. It's a little white envelope addressed to St. Michael's Episcopal Ministry Center. Inside was a check for $500,000. I didn't even know the person. We didn't know the family. It was an estate. It was a bequest from somebody who had gone to that church years and years before. And they restricted the use of the money to two things. So I can't just put it in the operating budget. But these are the things that every priest prays to have this kind of money because one of the restricted uses was deferred maintenance. You know, when the chandelier doesn't quite work and the ceiling fan only works once in a while and then it throws off its blade and you're just glad it didn't hit somebody. <laughs> Those things that, yeah, you could turn it off, you don't really need it, except last week it was 107 in Riverside, California. The air conditioning went out in the whole church and it was $55,000 to replace it. But we have money for that. Only for that one thing. And then the other thing he restricted it for was for capital expenditures. So if we need to build a little something or repair a little something, we can do that. Can't buy groceries with it, can't do anything else with it. But those two things are the things that hurt budgets a lot in churches, you know, because you just don't have money for deferred maintenance lots of times. So God has taken care of us. God is taking care of us, taking care of you as well. Native people know that if it's meant to happen and you get a few people together and share stories and eat, it's going to happen. It will happen. Because if it weren't a miracle, none of us would still be here. You know, we would have checked out many, many moons ago. But instead, we're still here. And that's the exciting thing. You're so blessed here in Oklahoma from what was a tragic beginning of relocating people against their will and leaving all their belongings behind now you have all of these wonderful people and I don't know about your situation but I've spoken in many churches and in most churches they could count the number of native people they know on one hand. So my challenge to you and I might be presumptuous in saying this because maybe you already have this going. My challenge is get to know the people of the community. Invite our people in. Find out what you might do together. Find out the youth, you know, what can you do for the youth, for example. Everybody needs help with kids. So I want to leave you with that hopeful, hopeful thing. I want you to know if you ever come to Riverside, California, you'd be welcome at St. Michael's. You almost have to come to see if I'm telling the truth. <laughs> But I can tell you that I am. And I'm like a grandmother, you know, with a new grandbaby. You can't shut me up. But I think it's time to do that or I'm going to be in trouble here. So. <laughs> but I do want to thank you for listening and I thank you for inviting me. And anything that I can do regarding, um, you know, Episcopal Church and getting involved with indigenous people or non-indigenous who want to do projects together, please feel free to talk with me. 
My name is Mary Christ. Uh, if you say Merry Christmas, you almost have it. And my colleague that I work with all the time was here last year, Brad Hoff. He's a wonderful person also to work with. So God bless you. God keep you safe. God keep control of this COVID that is trying to get started. And all of us, let's just be forgiving of the imperfections that we meet and really focus on the love. If we can do that, miracles happen. I'm telling you the truth. Amen. Amen. Amen.